0: Hello, and welcome to The Wealth Chat, a podcast brought to you by Kleinwater Hambrose. Join me as we dive into the world of wealth together and explore how to simplify life's financial challenges. My name is Rebecca Constable, Private Client Director and Head of Philanthropy, and I will be your host today. In the face of a global pandemic, the property market seems to defy gravity, with prices and sales volumes reaching record highs. Where are we seeing the biggest growth? Is London's residential market past its prime? We are joined by Camilla Dell, founder of Blackbrick Property Solutions, highly experienced in meeting the needs of demanding domestic and international property buyers. Camilla has successfully sourced and acquired in excess of a billion sterling of residential property for private clients. Welcome, Camilla. How are you?
1: Thank you so much for that lovely introduction, Rebecca. I'm very well and very happy to be here with you today. And thanks so much for inviting me onto your podcast.
0: Camilla, it's great. I'm also joined by Paul Kearns, my colleague from Climate Ambrose, who heads up the banking and credit solutions. Welcome, Paul. Great to have you on as well.
2: Hi, Rebecca. Thank you. Hello, Camilla.
0: So, Camilla, if we can start, a lot of our clients are entrepreneurial. They've either set up their businesses um, or have sold their businesses or might be thinking about um, starting a a business. Um, As a female entrepreneur, when you look back to when you founded Black Brick Property in 2007, um, why did you set it up and what were the challenges you've occurred during this time?
1: Lovely question, lovely way to to begin this. I think... I always knew from a very young age that I really wanted to be the boss or be my own boss, and I can't really ex I can't really explain it. Just wherever I worked, I always wanted the top job. I was probably one of the uh, most irritating, annoying employees <laughs> uh, to work with because I would be the person constantly knocking on the boss's door, going, "I want to be promoted. I want to do this. I can do your job." Um, so I was, I was, I was one of those types i suppose so i suppose it was just this drive within me that i was really passionate about business and really really wanted to do my own thing and it was a question of getting the right experience and finding my path really and i guess that's what's so interesting when you when you talk to other people that have set up their own businesses is everybody has, has got a different journey into how they got to where They got to. And my journey, um, it definitely wasn't linear. I definitely think that you can work really hard, but there's definitely an element of luck and timing involved um, in all of these things. And so I started my real estate career working for Foxton's big London estate agency back in the day when it was owned by a gentleman called John Hunt, who for me was a very inspirational figure. It was a privately owned business. Um, He started it from scratch And I really admired that and You know, Foxton's at the time was a very fun place to work, really taught me everything that I know about hard work and routine and being good at sales. It has come up against a bit of a bad rap sometimes, Foxton's, but it was a brilliant place to train and to learn. And so I was there for for a number of years, but interestingly, I never had a driving license. And this is where I think this element of kind of luck comes into things. So I was never an estate agent. I was never in one of their front offices. Because I didn't have a driving license, I couldn't drive around and sell houses, I ended up being hired to work in their head office in Chiswick, a very beautiful building. And I was in what they call their corporate services department. So my role was very much to build relationships with FTSE 100 companies and almost provide a bit of a complimentary free service for high flying executives, high net worths that were looking to either buy or rent property in London we would give them through the corporate team a sort of a VIP service for free. And I suppose that is where the seed of Blackbrick first got sowed for me because I looked at this service and I thought, wow, this is actually something that people should pay for. Shouldn't be a free service. And I also felt quite restricted that I was only ever able to offer what Foxton's was either selling or renting themselves. I wasn't free to go out into the market and find the best thing for my client. I was very much restricted. And so that is when I wrote my very first business plan to be a buying agent. But it took me some time to get there. I went through a journey which included almost making it onto the television show, The Apprentice, through to then getting promoted at Foxton's and setting up my own department, through to then getting headhunted by Knight Frank and being part of their business, through to then finally taking that big, momentous jump and setting up Blackbrick. And that was back in January 2007. In terms of challenges being a female, I never saw that as a challenge as such. There's no doubt about it. The property industry is a very male dominated industry and it 's also a very white industry it 's not very diverse and I think um, for me that 's quite sad and it 's definitely something that needs to change and I think is changing, albeit very 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 slowly but certainly, in terms of being a woman setting up uh, my own business and whether I found that a challenge I, I have to be honest and say i didn 't I actually used the fact that I was a woman. In the property industry, to my advantage, because there's so few of us, I think a lot of clients really like to have a female advisor, and so it for me, it was a point of differentiation, and it was something that I very much used to my advantage, and, and I never, I never found it a challenge.
0: Perhaps if we could just turn to the property market now. Um, so. I mean, it always seems to defy gravity. Uh, That's certainly something. Everybody always has a a view about property as well. It's very interesting. Um, So in the last sort of 15 months or so, obviously, we've seen a global pandemic. We've seen the potential of a major global recession. uh, But the property market just still seems to go up. Uh, An observation that we've had is that it is going up outside London. And I suppose the first question I really want to ask is, What are you seeing in the current time? Is London getting left behind by more space and a green garden outside London? Or are the prospects for London looking very encouraging?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that the pandemic has made people reconsider what they want in terms of where they live and how they live. And as a result of that, we have seen a trend towards people moving out of city centres. And this is not just true in London, but also when you look at other global cities like New York, um, this mass exodus, people moving out um, because they want more space, they're having to educate their children at home, they're having to work from home. And obviously you get more value for money when you start to move out of these big city centers. There has definitely been an element of that in the UK as a result of COVID. And so a lot of the price growth that's taken place over the last 12 months has very much been around the rest of the UK, particularly the country markets. Has London been left behind? I don't think so. When you just look at the overall picture in terms of where where we were at in the cycle before the pandemic started, we were sort of at the beginnings of a recovery, certainly in prime central London. You know, pre-pandemic, we had no price growth at all. Um, In fact, we had prices falling pretty much consecutively since the end of 2014 and so prices you know are down on average across prime central london just over 20% but just before the pandemic started We were starting to see signs of price growth returning to the market and that was very much being driven off the back of a positive general election result, sort of fears about a Labour Labour government being put to rest, uh, people feeling much more positive about Brexit being resolved as a result of a majority Conservative government and so there was a lot of pent-up demand. People absolutely had been delaying their buying decisions in London because of all of that political uncertainty going on in the background. January 2020, things were looking extremely positive and we were starting to see price growth come back into the market. Obviously, that got completely stopped dead in its tracks. And as we all know, lockdown, no transactions, we weren't able to operate as a business. Um, You know, I put my team on furlough. None of us knew what what it meant. We weren't able to do transactions. We weren't able to do viewings. Everything froze. I think A year on, um, the property market reopened in May 2020. So it's just over a year's anniversary since the market reopened. And I think what's taken everybody by surprise is just how strong property markets generally have been. Um, all over the UK. Part part of that has been driven by obviously government incentives like the stamp duty holiday, but also even within London, it's wrong to think that London is is dead in a quiet market. There's actually been a lot of activity in areas that I like to call sort of prime domestic markets like St John's Wood, Hampstead, Primrose Hill, and then in the southwest of London areas like Richmond, Chiswick, Wimbledon, Dulwich. These sort of outer London areas that have a high concentration of houses, good family houses with gardens, close to parks, close to decent high streets, not necessarily close to the city, have been hugely in demand. And there have been record numbers of transactions taking place in those markets over the last 12 months and significant price growth as a result. I think the part of the market that has been much quieter I don't know whether you could say it's been left behind, but certainly there's been no price growth, very little activity, has been the more sort of core prime central London postcodes. Areas like Mayfair, Knightsbridge, Belgravia, South Kensington, Chelsea, and particularly the flat market, as you might expect, you know, demand for flats, small flats, close to the city without any outside space has dropped off a cliff and added to that... International buyers are not here right now. And it's anybody's guess when they're going to return because our green list of countries is so small, which means that the normal influx that we would normally have around this time of year, with a lot of buyers from the Middle East love to come to London over the summer months and buy property, that is not happening at the moment. So I actually think it's creating an opportunity. I think clients, anyone right now considering buying a flat in central London, I think their timing is pretty good. You've got far, far reduced competition. Anyone selling that kind of property at the moment is acutely aware of the fact that there's little demand for it. So they're having to be much more pragmatic and realistic on their pricing. And I'm of the opinion that this is not a long-term trend. Um, I think this could easily continue for the next six to 12 months. But I absolutely don't foresee a world where nobody wants to be in the city centre anymore. You know, London is one of the best cities in the world. We can already see life coming back now that lockdown has lifted and restaurants are busier again. And I just think that will continue. And I think people will return to the office, maybe in a different way, maybe not five days a week. So I think there's a window of opportunity at the moment. How long that window lasts? Best guess for me is another six to 12 months.
0: Mm. Interesting. So the government brought in some fairly major measures to assist the property market. I think we've all been, you know, somewhat surprised by the scale of government intervention around COVID measures. Uh, but the stamp duty land tax holiday that they brought in, uh, that's going to be phased out from the sort of end of June and through to September. Do you actually think these sort of interventions are a good thing for the property market? Or does it create a rather artificial market for a few months?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think our Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, is a very, very, very smart man. I think that he was very quick to rush and put in place all sorts of supportive measures when the pandemic first hit. Looking back on it now, was it necessary for him to bring in a stamp duty holiday? I think everybody would probably agree that it wasn't a necessary measure. You know, what it did do is obviously stimulate... A lot of transactions to happen but the downside of that is prices have gone up as much as if not more than that stamp duty saving so you know who are the winners who are the losers the winners are i've got to be honest here and say property sellers and i think you know most sensible smart buyers will have easily calculated that actually they're not really getting the saving because the market's gone up 10 percent over the last 12 months So, look, I think these government incentives, on the one hand, it's great that they were there and that there was a lot of support there, not just in terms of stamp duty, but furlough schemes and business rates, holidays and things like that. I think that was all really positive. The stamp duty one, I think we are looking back. We're already looking back, analysts saying, actually, that probably wasn't necessary.
0: Yeah. Paul, perhaps I could bring you in at this stage. I mean, are we sort of finding that this is causing an artificial rush to buy properties and complete on mortgage applications?
2: Um, yes, Rebecca, I think we are seeing that generally across the industry. Um, we certainly, with our third parties that we're using for, for example, valuations and solicitors, there is very clearly a bottleneck there of, of volume coming through across the industry. I think, though, for our specific market, where we're looking at those uh, higher value residential real estate properties, the impact of that stamp duty holiday is is limited it is limited to 15000 pounds so it's not really going to be that sort of factor that's going to be enough to to make a, a a buy or not to buy decision for a for a high net worth individual but down the stream certainly we are seeing that
0: so, I mean, the government's often been sort of perhaps criticised by giving from one hand and taking from the other. You know, when it comes to sort of slightly more punitive tax measures, uh, in April, they introduced the 2% overseas buyers stamp duty levy for anyone buying property in the UK who's non-UK resident. Clearly, the the international market is a is a core component to prime central London property, Camilla, is that having an effect on property purchases as well as obviously not being able to come over here and view properties? Is that also a dampening effect?
1: I think unlike other stamp duty changes that have come in historically, this new change only affects overseas buyers. It only affects people that are not tax resident in the UK. So that's a big difference from previous tax changes, which, is, which have affected everybody. We certainly had some clients earlier this year Very, very keen to get their transactions done before that 1st of April deadline, because that extra 2% surcharge is a significant cost. And unlike previous stamp duty rises, where they've almost been absorbed into the market and prices have pretty much come down in line with the stamp duty charges, I don't think that this time around the same will play out because you've still got a lot of domestic activity who are not being affected by that. So I think on the one hand, we did see some buyers rush to get their transactions through, willing to fly over and do their quarantine to make that happen. But right now, I think the challenge for overseas buyers is not so much tax. It's they'd actually love to come here and buy something, but they can't get here. And I suspect this extra 2% surcharge will just sort of naturally be accepted. I think most high net worth clients these days... Except that if they want to purchase real estate in one of the most desirable, one of the greatest cities on the planet, they're going to have to pay tax in some shape or form. And I think the good thing about the stamp duty system that we have in the UK is that you pay it only once. I think when you look at other tax regimes globally, like New York, for example, where people are constantly having to pay this annual tax on the value of their home, you know, that's really quite detrimental. And I think it's one of the reasons why you're seeing so many people leave New York and move to other parts of the states. You know, thankfully, we don't have that here. It is an extra charge. But in many ways, London is still very competitive from a tax perspective. I mean, there's been
0: lots of talk about a wealth tax in the UK, and bringing in some form of property related wealth tax. That seems to have not been on the agenda over the course of the last sort of couple of years. Do you feel that that Um, that the government's listened to those in the property market or has there been much representation from the property market around the implications of having a more general wealth tax
1: look it's really difficult to speculate on what taxes may or may not come in but i think the government's focus right now is getting the economy back And I don't think that they would want to bring anything in, particularly now with Brexit having happened, to deter foreign investment into this country. So I really, really, really hope. That we have seen the end of this continuous tinkering to uh, property tax that we 've seen over the last yeah. few years
0: London is a fantastic city I mean hopefully it 's starting to open up now, as you say, the theater 's potentially going to open up, and people are able to sort of go and enjoy the wonderful facilities that we have. I mean the continued travel restrictions must be very, very limiting because people actually want to physically walk into the property and look around and see where it overlooks and all the rest of it. I mean, do you think these travel restrictions would continue? I mean, what what impact do you think it will have if they do continue for another 12 months or so?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely, they are having an impact. Um, We look after a lot of clients in the Middle East. Pretty much the whole of the Middle East is red at the moment. None of my clients are willing to come over and quarantine in a government hotel. Um, So I think the key will be when some of those countries switch to amber, you know, many of my clients have been absolutely OK with the idea of coming over and having to do quarantine for 10 days in their own homes or in a hotel and then test release after five days. But asking clients to go into government facilities, nobody's going to do that. So I think the key is, you know, when we start to see less red on our on our list of countries and more ambers, you know, until that happens, international buyers are just not coming through to London at the moment. That that is a fact. But once things do start to ease, and I believe they will, the vaccine programme here in the UK is, is going great guns and, and hopefully the rest of the world will catch up. And I believe in the next six to 12 months, we will see some opening up of travel um, and, and that will roll through into, in, into the London property market. Yeah, absolutely. If we could just slightly change
0: tack, as you know, at Client White Hambros, we sort of assist our clients in financing property, either through secured lending against the residential property or other assets that we manage for them. Question really for you, Camilla, I mean, how many of your clients do seek some form of financing, a mortgage or whatever, when they buy properties?
1: I would say the ma- the majority. The majority of them do take finance for several reasons. Um, from a tax planning perspective, obviously one of the key considerations for any client buying UK property is inheritance tax, which is significant. It's 40%. And a great way to plan for that is to take finance on the property. I think a really important thing for clients to be aware of is it's important that they take that finance out when they buy the property. It's no good sort of thinking about that after the event, because it doesn't count. (laughs) So I think a lot of our clients will borrow for that reason, for tax planning reasons. But also, you know, when you look at interest rates in the UK, and the rates coming out from the banks, it absolutely makes sense, you know, why would clients tie up all of their capital into a property purchase when they can borrow very efficiently, very cheaply, and have their money working hard elsewhere on other investments. So I think for most of our clients, borrowing is an absolute no-brainer, and most of them do do it. The exceptions to that are, I think, for investors. Some of our investor clients, when you know, you've got to move quickly on a deal because it's a good deal, you know, sometimes those sorts of transactions, where speed is important, need to be done in cash. But you know, for the majority of our clients, and certainly clients buying homes here, they do tend to borrow. Yeah.
0: And interesting, Paul, um, if I could um, bring you in to the conversation, I mean, how many of our clients, given the fact that we've got such low interest rates and, and, you know, we've now, I think people are used to having low interest rates because we've had such a long period, but particularly obviously post-COVID when we saw further reductions in rates, um, how many clients are now looking more at the risk of interest rates rising and perhaps taking out some form of a fixed rate product?
2: Yes, well, really just to add to to what Camilla uh, just said there, it is a very large portion of buyers that will be looking for financing. And a lot of that is linked to that low interest rate. But there is a a second effect here, which is the central banks providing easing through other channels, namely quantitative easing and their their asset purchase programmes. So, whether it's simply because the interest rate is so low that it is appealing to borrow, it's just a, 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 it, it, it's a real opportunity for the client to uh, borrow at a low rate and, and, and buy a real estate property that has great growth potential. or it is because they have other assets, other investments that will also be rallying, and rather than selling out of those investments, they will maybe borrow against them a Lombard loan, as we offer, in order to buy that property. So really, we're seeing financing going into the uh, real estate market, not just through your regular mortgage but also against invested assets.
0: And are they interested in protecting against a rise in interest rates? Is that is that a risk that we're having a lot more conversations with clients about?
2: It is a concern that has come up more recently certainly with the sell off in the in the bond market earlier in the year. This uh, uh, concern of inflation coming back finally and very sharply that is creating that desire for for upside protection but i think generally speaking we were coming off a very low base and when you look at the yield curve it still is in that territory that even over a five or ten year projection clients would be quite happy to fix or float in the near term so we aren't seeing it uh, uh, to a great extent
0: so camilla if i could come back to you um a lot of clients are buying off market. Uh, you know, has there been a rise in this, but given the fact that perhaps supply is relatively limited? And ha- can you just explain a little bit about how you work with clients in accessing property
1: off market? How does that work? Essentially, what off market means is that there's no estate agent involved. So a seller is selling a property directly to a buyer. It is a trend that we have seen on, on the increase. I think there's a few reasons for that. One is the pandemic. If you are trying to sell your property in a pandemic, the one thing that you really don't want as a seller is lots and lots of people coming and traipsing through your home just because they want to have a look at a property on a Saturday. (laughs) Just too much risk involved. And so a way to minimise that is not to advertise your property, not to have it on any of the usual web portals. You may choose to engage with an estate agent, but your instructions to that estate agent are only allow serious vetted buyers in through the door to show my home. So that is also another definition, if you like, of of off-market or the grey market. And it's something that we've seen a lot of during the pandemic. But even before the pandemic, I think owners of valuable properties, or perhaps there's a sensitive reason behind the sale, are choosing not to advertise. And I also think as a seller, if you're selling something very desirable, very prime, you don't need to advertise in order to sell your property to to the right buyer at a great price. So there's all sorts of reasons why things are off market. As buying agents, obviously, it's part of what we do. We, We have to look at everything uh, for clients to see if they're right. We have to look at off-market. We have to look at things that are about to come onto the market. And we also have to consider things that are are on the market that might be suitable as well. I think sometimes clients can get blindsided into believing that a property that is off-market is somehow better uh, than something that is on the market. And that may be true. It may be that it is better because it's very prime and very desirable and very rare. I think the danger sometimes with off-market is sometimes you're dealing with a seller that's not actually really committed or serious about a sale. That's one danger factor to be aware of. And I think the other danger factor to be aware of is that the property won't have been market tested in the same way that a property that's on the market will have been. And so you've got to be prepared as a buyer to pay a premium in order to secure an off-market property. And sometimes that premium will be worth it If that is the house that you want on the road that you want, and those houses only come up for sale once every 20 years, it's probably a premium that you're going to be comfortable with and happy to go ahead with. But I think one thing that we're very careful with as buying agents is educating clients on that and making sure that they understand that premium and whether they're okay with that and and willing to pay that. And how do you hear about
0: properties that are available off market?
1: A number, of, a number of ways, um, contacts, um, our relationships with, with agents means that they will naturally come to us first when they are instructed on things quietly because they know that we represent some of the best buyers in the market. So that does get us very early access. But we're also very creative when we're searching for clients. We, we had a client recently looking for a, a home in Dulwich and there was absolutely nothing on the open market in Dulwich we had narrowed down the client's search to specific roads, and we actually popped some letters through the doors explaining that we were retained. We're not an estate agent. We're not looking for any fees, but we are retained by a very serious buyer looking for a family home on this street. Our letter landed through the door of a family who did want to sell. They were about to go on the market with an agent. They received our letter. And they sold their house privately to our client. So we're very creative and uh, we're very tenacious when we're searching. So I suppose that leads me to another question around
0: top tips for buyers in the carrot market. Uh, you know, what pitfalls are there as well?
1: First of all, I think it really, our tips vary depending on who we're talking to. My top tip for anybody considering buying a home is not to get too sidetracked by, is this a good deal? I think you know, we've become so used to the British public that, you know, our home is also our biggest investment. And that's fine to a certain extent. But I think when that just completely overtakes and dominates everything else, you can end up buying something that actually you're just buying it for the wrong reasons. And I fundamentally believe that if you're buying something because it's a home, first and foremost, it has to be is this the right home and is it going to suit me for the foreseeable future, the long foreseeable future? I think another factor to consider these days is that the costs of buying have considerably gone up. So moving is not something that you want to do very often. So getting it right is super, super important. And, you know, not getting too sidetracked by value when you're buying a home, it's got to be much more about, is this the right home for you for the foreseeable future? I think for investors, obviously, it's almost the reverse. You know, don't buy something because you fall in love with it. You know, actually do the numbers stack up? Is this going to be a good investment? Is it going to rent easily? And I think the rental market is very interesting at the moment because it has suffered hugely as a result of the pandemic. Rental prices are down 15, 16% in central London over the last year. And so if you're looking to enter the market as a buy-to-let investor, you've got to be really sure about your numbers and realistic rental values, not what things were renting for a year ago, because the market has completely changed over the last 12 months. And the agent that you're buying from is not going to necessarily tell you that. (laughs) So I think, you know, for investors, doing your numbers, doing your homework and being really sure about rental values is probably the most important thing to get right at the moment.
0: And why have rental values fallen by 15%? Is it because uh, a lot of employees were moving out of London because they were furloughed and they're now gradually coming back or perhaps not so many are coming back? What's been the driving force was the London rental market overvalued, overpriced? Yeah,
1: I think probably the, the, the rental market was, was at a peak anyway. And so part of the cycle would have meant that we would have seen some price falls anyway. But I think it's a combination of things. I think the stamp duty holiday meant that a lot of people in rented really wanted to just then get on and buy. I also think that the whole working from home situation that we find ourselves in has absolutely meant that a lot a lot of young people, professional tenants, renting these one and two bedroom flats in the city, in East London, new builds, etc, have moved out of the city for better quality of life. If they've been furloughed, they've sometimes moved back in with their parents. Um, so that's been a factor. All the usual international students that we would have come into London and rent a lot of properties, that hasn't happened. All of the international relocations that we would normally see on an annual basis haven't happened. And so all of that has meant significantly reduced demand. In addition, all of the short-let landlords, people that like to Airbnb their properties, short-let rental market, holiday-let market has died because there's no tourists here at the moment. And so those short-let landlords have been forced to put their properties onto the long-let market, which has increased supply further. So it's almost been a perfect storm, if you like, which has meant that landlords Have had a very 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 tough time over the last 12 months but i do believe we're starting to come out of it now i think also because rents have fallen so much that is also enticing people back into the city now because it's like wow we can get a bargain you know what we were renting for 600 pounds a week a year ago we can now rent for 450 pounds a week and so we are starting to see activity levels pick up again but i think my top tip for anyone that is an investment landlord is it's far 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 better to have a tenanted flat than it is to have a a long void period and wait for a fictional tenant that doesn't exist to pay you last year's rent. Far better to get your property tenanted, take the hit on the rent, and over the long term, things should pick up and recover again.
0: Fantastic. Camilla, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Thank you, Paul, as well. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. And I think we've all learned a lot about where we are in the property market, so much appreciated. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Rebecca.
0: Well, that's it for today's episode of The Wealth Chat. Do make sure you're following the podcast so you're notified as soon as the next episode is available. Until then, thank you again to Camilla Dell and Paul Kearns and to you for listening. Goodbye. This podcast is not a
3: personal recommendation or investment advice. The value of investments can fall as well as rise, and past performance is not a guarantee of future performance. It is not intended that this podcast is distributed in or into the United States of America. This podcast is issued by the following companies in the Kleinwort hambrus Group. In the United Kingdom by SG Kleinwort hambrus Bank Limited, which is authorized by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. In the Channel Islands by SG Kleinwort hambrus Bank CI Limited, which is regulated by the Jersey Financial Services Commission. SG Kleinwert Hambros Bank CI Limited Guernsey Branch is also regulated by the Guernsey Financial Services Commission. Both entities are also authorised and regulated by the UK Financial Conduct Authority in respect of UK regulated mortgage business. In Gibraltar, SG Kleinwort Hambros Bank Gibraltar Limited is authorised and regulated by the Gibraltar Financial Services Commission.